0: Well, good morning, everybody. Okay, that's not too bad. It's good to see y'all here here today. Um, Today, we we have this little Sunday, these little Sundays every once in a while where we're in the in-between sermon series and all that stuff, so we just get to preach a message that we just want to preach, and that's totally what's going on today. But as Jesus followers, we live in this constant tension, and I like to call it the already-not-yet Tension. Because once we receive God's call, once we surrender to God's pursuit of our lives, once the Holy Spirit enters our lives, we receive a reward that has already been given. You understand that? But it is not fully recognized until our time on this earth is done. We live in this ever present process of of sanctification by being transformed into the likeness of Jesus. Shane Wood, he's one of my friends, and he puts it this way. He says that, that this kind of transformation, he says, transformation is a movement, it's not a moment. It's a movement that's made up of moments, but it's a movement nonetheless. Now most of us, we cannot look back on our lives, and while we may be able to say, that is the moment that I surrendered to Jesus, we are not able to say that is the moment that I was transformed into the likeness of Jesus. Because it's, it, it, it's a movement and instead what we do is we see all kinds of moments that are made up of all kinds of decisions, made up of all kinds of victories and all kinds of defeats, all kinds of highs and all kinds of lows, all kinds of good times and all kinds of bad times, but God uses all of it to keep us moving toward transforming into the likeness of Jesus. And so with that said, I want, I want us to just take a, a few moments here to just look at this incredible text that we're going to be in today, and it's found in Romans chapter 8, and we're going to begin in verse 18, and it says this. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration frustration. Not only so, but we ourselves have the first fruits of the Spirit. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we were saved. But, But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait patiently for it. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We do not know what we ought to pray, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans, and he who searches our hearts and knows the minds of the Spirit, knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Will you pray with me this morning? My Father in heaven, I come to you and I just pray that over these next several moments, Father, that your heart will be communicated to us. Holy Spirit, that you will move in this place, that you will awaken us where we are tired, that you will awaken our hearts where our hearts are dead, that you will give us hearts of flesh where our hearts may have become hard. Father, will you please just do something in this group, in this people, in this place, that will allow us and encourage us to be a light in the darkness, to be hope to the hopeless. Jesus, we love you, and we thank you for this opportunity, and in your name we pray. Amen. So just for a little bit of context here, because, I mean, what we just read is a massive, massive chunk of Scripture. The Apostle Paul, he has just finished talking about how those who are led by the Spirit, they have been adopted as children of God. Another way that we can say this, they have been chosen as children of God. That those who have been adopted, those who have been chosen, they have received this, this indescribable intimacy in our relationship with our Heavenly Father. So much so that we are able to call out to our Heavenly Father the words, Abba, Father. Which are the exact same words that Jesus would, would use to address his Heavenly Father whenever he was in his darkest of times. And because we have been chosen, because we have been adopted, we have received authority through God. We have received the privilege of being disciplined by God. We have received an inheritance from God. We we, we have become heirs with God and co-heirs with Christ. We have received this inheritance that it's not divided into smaller portions depending on where we fall in the birth order. But instead, everybody has received, it consists of the full glory of God. We have received this family likeness through transformation But our inheritance in this transformation, it won't be realized until we move from this life into the next. It's already, but not yet. And like I said, this text today is is huge, so I want to break it down into three sections today. The, The first section is found in verses 18 through 25, and we'll read those again here in just a moment. But I'm going to call this first section, The Promise of the Presence of Pain. The Promise of the Presence of Pain, verse 18 once again says this. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. We can view this in whatever way we want. We can view this in a personal sense. Like you you personally may have experienced some pain that is not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in you. We can look at this as a church and and be able to say that, that the church may have experienced some pain that is not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. You can look at this in just the terms of the fallen world and say that this fallen world has the exact same thing. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Now, verse 22 We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present moment. I'm going to be honest with you all. I've never experienced childbirth. I've never birthed a child. I, I, I haven't, but I have been there while four of them have been born. And our third one, Nora, my wife has this thing. She's not in here so I can talk about her. She has this thing to where whenever she's getting ready to give birth, it goes all the way back to our first child. We went to the hospital multiple times with Whitley whenever she was having Braxton Hicks and those things. And, and, and the doctor or the hospital always said, sorry, it's not quite time. You need to go home. So from that point on, my wife had this fear of going to the doctor and looking weaker than she really is and being told that you need to go home, that the pain's going to get a whole lot worse than what you're experiencing right now. And so with our third one, Nora, my wife, she told me that day, Andy, today is going to be the day. Women, I guess, just have that ability to say, today's the day. And so she knew that that was going to be the day, and so I'm bothering her the entire day at work, just, do I need to come home? Do I need to come home? Is everything fine? Everything fine? Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Okay. So I end up coming home that afternoon, and she says, now that you're home, I think I'm going to go take a bath. She goes and she takes a bath. After a while, she, she gets out of the bath and, and, and she said that she fell asleep in the tub. And I was like, okay, well, do you think we need to go? I don't know if we need to go yet. Well, I'm starting to freak out a little bit. And so I'm like, let's go to the hospital. We get in the hospital and I start timing her contractions. Her contractions are about a minute and a half apart. We get to the hospital and uh, luckily there is a guy who, was at, who went to my church who, who was working in the emergency room. And I said, Hey man, can like, I think she's about to go (laughs) like any second, this is about to happen. And he luckily went and took us to our room before we filled out any paperwork or anything. We get to the room, the nurses come in and they check her. They don't say a word to us. All that they do is they say, they, they get on the phone and they say, get the doctor here now. Those words are concerning. So I said, is she okay? They said, yes, she's fine, but she's past a nine and about to have this baby. I was like, oh. And so there was no time for an epidural. There was no time for a spinal block. There was no time for anything. This little tiny wife of mine was about to go all natural up on this thing. And the only thing that I remember is this. My wife screaming at the top of her lungs, I can't do this. That's what Paul's talking about here. Have you ever been there? In this life where you're just thinking, I can't do this. This pain is too much, this pain is too deep. I can't continue on, but he says, but not only so, but we ourselves, we who have the first fruits. Notice that. Take encouragement in that word first fruits. We have the first fruits. That means that there's still more to come. We have the first fruits of the Spirit, but we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship. We've already been adopted, but we haven't experienced the full benefits of this adoption. It's that already not yet tension, the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait patiently for it. And what Paul is doing here in this section is he is making it crystal clear, and I want you to hear this, that suffering is part of life. Suffering is part of the Christian life. You go back and you study church history, and you will see all throughout church history, beginning in the book of Acts, which is the beginning of the church, you go to Acts chapter three, and the people who were the first people to start talking about Jesus and proclaiming the resurrection, they are already in prison, three chapters into the book. You go and you see in Acts chapter seven, and the persecution of the church has become so rampant that the Christians are just starting to disperse among all kinds of nations, and what the evil one meant for evil, God meant for good. And the, the church ended up spreading like wildfire because of this persecution in Jerusalem. We see that this persecution has always been a part of the church. It's always been a part of the, 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 the story of the Jesus follower. In many churches, in many instances, like it was extremely dangerous to be a follower of Jesus. Still to this day in different parts of the world, it is extremely dangerous to be a follower of Jesus. And I know that as Western Christians, we really don't get that danger part. Sure, we may have somebody who makes fun of us for being a Christian. Somebody may question our intelligence for being a Christian. Somebody may say something bad about you or, or say that you're judgmental or say that you're a hypocrite or say that you're any of these things for being a Christian. But most of us have not have our lives threatened for being a Christian. But that's the reality of many Christians in this world today. But as our society continues to become more and more post-Christian... I have a question. Are you ready? Are you ready to remain faithful even when you might be the minority in the world? Are you ready to remain faithful whenever you're you're the minority among the population? This is so important right now. As we look at what's taking place in the church, you all all you have to do is is, is Google Christians, probably, and some of the main stories you're gonna find are stories of people who are deconverting from the faith. And I have to wonder why, but, but but we have to understand this: that we are not Christians based on the freedom of religion. We are not Christians based on the freedom to assemble. We are Jesus followers because of the resurrection of the dead. We are Jesus followers because of the hope that we have in the resurrection of the dead. Regardless of what's taking place in this world or what's taking place in our lives or what's taking place around us. And so whenever I I look at the state of the church, whenever I hear all these stories about people who are walking away from the faith for any number of reasons, I just have to ask this question. Where in the world did we get the idea that being a Jesus follower was supposed to be easy? Where did we get the idea that being a Jesus follower was supposed to be comfortable? Where did we get this idea that being a Jesus follower was supposed to be free of persecution? Because I can promise you, it did not come from Jesus. But if we have this mindset that that I'm a Christian, so my life should just be smooth sailing from this point forward. If we think that I'm a Christian because of the benefits that come along with being a Christian... What are we going to do whenever those benefits begin to go away? What are we going to do whenever the storms of life really hit hard? When the benefits or the power of being a Christian begin to disappear, my fear is that our faith will begin to disappear right along with it. Listen to the words of Jesus here in in John chapter 16. He says that I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Here's the promise in this world you will have trouble but take heart for i have overcome the world he goes on he says in luke chapter 9 one of the most famous teachings of jesus whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves must deny themselves of their wants and their desires and their version of right and wrong for God's wants and his desires and his version of right and wrong. They must deny themselves and they must take up their cross. This this symbol of of torture, this symbol of, of do not be like them, embarrassment, mockery, shame. They must take up their cross and daily follow me. You go to the, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, the way that Jesus decides to sum up the entire Sermon on the Mount is to tell a story about this, this wise builder and this foolish builder. Both of them hear the word of God. One of them does something with the word of God. They apply the word of God. The other one hears the word of God and completely ignores what it is that he's heard and what he's learned. But the one, one of the constant themes in both of these stories, whether they were wise or whether they were foolish, is that both of them had storms in life. Storms will come. Trouble will come. And here what Paul is doing is he's doing his very best to make sure that these persecuted Christians in Rome, these people who have already been persecuted for their faith, that they completely understand that suffering is part of following Jesus. That we are not guaranteed positions of power. We are not guaranteed positions of high standing. But we are called to remain faithful to the mission of love God and prove it in the way that you love others regardless of what life throws your way and we have to remember that this group that paul is writing to they have already experienced various levels of persecution but he's also writing to this church and in this very church that paul is writing to within seven to eight years thousands of them are going to be executed by nero for their faith in the great fire of rome in a.d. 64 it's just so amazing to me that as Paul is writing, there were children who were born at that time who will never reach any form of adulthood. There were little girls who had dreams of becoming a mother who will never get to experience those dreams. There were young leaders who had aspirations and goals that they will never see to completion. And to this group of Jesus followers, the Apostle Paul says this, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And I have to think that as these men, women, and children were being led to their demise by, by Nero, that these words of Paul were echoing in their minds. But this wasn't just a Roman Thing. This wasn't just the church in Rome thing. This, The Apostle Paul, he said something so similar uh, to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians. He says that our momentary light afflictions is producing for us an absolutely incomparable weight of glory. And Paul, he moves on from there to describe the groaning of creation, the groaning of the believers, and the groaning of the Holy Spirit, saying that Christians, we've only experienced the first of of the spirit and the the pledge that there is more to come in salvation, yet we groan because of the hurt that we experience due to our fallen nature living in this fallen world. He tells us that our salvation is secure even though it is unseen, therefore we hope. We wait in faith with patience. It's the tension of the already, not yet. It's the movement of transformation. And I know that Paul, in these verses, he says so much, but the first thing that we learn in this text is the promise of the presence of pain. The second is found in verses 26 and 27. This is the promise of the Spirit's prayer. The promise of the Spirit's prayer, verse 26 says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for. You ever been there? But the Spirit intercedes, the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans, And he who searches our hearts knows the minds of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And I cannot tell you how much hope these verses have given me over the last year and a half. I cannot tell you how much hope these words have just given me over the course of my life. Time and time and time again, I've gone to God with absolutely nothing. And to know that the spirit is still praying the prayers that I need to pray, but I just can't find the words or the way to pray them is so incredibly comforting to me. The words here are the the, the words in our weakness. In our weakness, we, we have the help of the spirit. We have the prayers of the spirit. We have Jesus as our intercessor in heaven and we have the spirit as our intercessor on earth within our hearts. And so in our weakness and and in our pain, the Holy Spirit does what we cannot seem to do on our own. He brings our prayers to the Father even when we have no words to pray. So we have the, 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 the promise of the presence of pain. We have the promise of the Spirit's prayer. And then the final part in verses 28 through 30, we have the promise of good. Paul says this, and we know... Those first three words, if you have a physical Bible and you're somebody who likes to underline things in your Bible, I would encourage you, underline those first three words. And we know. The Apostle Paul, he's saying that this is common knowledge. This is something that we can take great, great confidence in. That God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And this is such a beautiful, beautiful promise, but we can't miss this because this is God's promise to us. That means that, that the good that God is working for is God's version of good and not our own version of good. Sometimes I, I believe we have the tendency to, to try and create God in our own image, opposed to us realizing that we've been created in his image. And what that means here is is that where our version of good often leads to us winning, it often leads to our prosperity, it often leads to our our, our, our good fortune, God's version of good always results in us being transformed into the likeness of Jesus. And the promise of this verse Is that under God's sovereign care, he orders everything for believers so that all of one's life experiences work together for the ultimate good. It's not that everything is good in and of itself, but it's that God uses everything for our good. Do you know how we miss this? We miss this whenever we get focused on every single moment. Whenever we we, we, we view things just moment by moment and we don't view things as a movement. Because it's not that everything is good, it's that we can have confidence that God is going to use everything for good. Once again, it's the fact that we live in this tension of already not yet. It's the understanding that God's version of good must be more important than our version of good. It means that I cannot be all about me and all about God at the exact same time. It means that that, that we recognize that being transformed into the likeness of Jesus is a movement that's made up of moments, but it's not a moment in and of itself. And that God is working in all those moments to move us closer to him. There may be times whenever God's version of good it is better than anything we could have ever imagined. There may be times whenever your prayers are answered exactly how you want your prayers to be answered. There may be times whenever, whenever God's version of good leads to prosperity for you, so then you can go be a blessing to others. There may be times whenever God's version of good leads to power or influence on this world, in this world, but there also may be times when God's version of good, it just doesn't make any sense. There may be times whenever God's version of good, we look at it and we just don't think it's fair, that we wish that the outcome was different. There may be times whenever God's version of good causes us to become angry. And it's in those moments that we must trust that the Spirit is working. That The Spirit is going before the Father on our behalf, in our weakness. You know, it's impossible for me to read these words in in Romans chapter 8 without immediately going to the Garden of Gethsemane. The night that Jesus was betrayed and he takes a couple of his followers with him and he goes to this garden and he begins to pray. He knows exactly what is coming before him he knows that the pain is not only going to be physically excruciating, but the pain that he is going to feel emotionally, the pain that he is going to, to, to feel spiritually is going to be, be, be beyond anything that we could even begin to comprehend. That all the sin of all, human, of all humans, for, for all mankind, for all time, are going to be placed on him. And in that moment, he looks to his Father in heaven and he prays, if there's any other way, if there's any other way for your purpose to be accomplished, please take this cup from me. But then he prays these words. You remember them? But not my will, but your will be done. And in each of these moments, may we say the same thing, regardless of our suffering. May we have confidence that in the end, God's version of good is always going to be better than our own, because our goal is is transformation, and transformation is a movement that is made up of individual moments, but not a single moment in and of itself. And when we focus on the individual moments, we will always miss the movement. The movement that is moment by moment making us more like Jesus. Will you pray with me this morning? Father in heaven, I I thank you for the hope that we have in you. I thank you for the life that we have in you thank you for the confidence that we can have in you. The confidence to know that when things look bad, that's often whenever you're up to your best. And we may not see it and we may not be able to understand it or grasp exactly what it is that you're doing, but we can have confidence We can have confidence that you're going to use our pain, you're going to use our brokenness, you're going to use our trials for your glory and to make us more like you. Father, this is something that's so incredibly difficult to do. But I pray through the power and the hope of your resurrection and through the spirit working in our weakness that we will be able to understand and experience just this. So Jesus, thank you for making a way, for being the example, and for showing us that that pain isn't evidence of God's absence. Sometimes pain just helps to accomplish God's purpose. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.